now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Good morning, church. Listen, y'all's applause makes the cringe that we went through making that video (laughs) worth it. I speak on behalf of everybody in that video. That was by far the most painful video that I think we've ever made. Standing in front of that green screen, not having a clue where to look or what to do. It's it's like that permanent smile that, like when you're trying to take a picture and you know the longer you hold it, the weirder you begin to look. And so, uh, but we are excited to kick off the Summer Series Pastor's Choice today. This is our third summer doing it, and the response over the years has just been uh, amazing from so many of you. And one of the things that people get most excited about is people that have kids or students that go here to charity have just responded that it's so great to be able to, to hear from the ones who teach their kids or students during the week be able to talk on Sunday morning. And so that's one of the the great things about it. The other cool thing about it is that Pastor Marty gives us total freedom and allows us to teach on whatever we want. So shout out to Pastor Marty. And and I am honored to be able to kick off this series. And I want to kick off today the best way I know how, through prayer. So Jesus, we just come to you and Lord, we just saying we do thank you so much for the freedom that is found in you. God, I pray that freedom is found in this place today, that people go from death to life, from loss to found, and that, God, people will enter into a relationship with you for the very first time. We thank you in advance. Do what only you can. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I also want to just echo what Marty said and just say happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, Hopefully, you've got big plans this weekend with friends or family. Um, July 4th is Roger Carter's birthday. Shout out to Roger. I think he's turning like 103 this year. Is that right? Also, I do need to give a shout out. July 4th is my mom's birthday, and my mom couldn't be here today because she is over in Brazil, where this past week she's had the opportunity to share her testimony and the gospel to hundreds of people. But I know she's watching, so mom, I love you. Uh, This is a big birthday for her. I'm going to go ahead and roll the dice and give her age. I'm doing it. She said, don't do it. She turned 70 this year. And I'm I'm confident in saying that because she still looks like she's in her 50s. But I, I say that to say this. You know how she's celebrating her 70th birthday? By jumping out of a perfectly good airplane and skydiving. Yeah. I see my cousin back there, and he did the same thing, said it was amazing. You ought to do it with your mom. That's not happening. But as crazy as she is now, maybe you know why I am so crazy. Well, today I want to kick off this, uh, this series by sharing a story that Jesus told. It's a parable, and Jesus often taught in parables. And this one today is the parable of the prodigal son, I titled my message, The Religious, The Rebellious, and The Redeemed. Three positions that we are going to see in this parable, and it's going to be very clear uh, who fits in those positions. Uh, The parable of the prodigal son is probably one of Jesus' two most famous parables, that one and the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so my prayer is that even though it might be familiar to you, that we see some truths that Jesus was trying to convey But it is an epic story. In fact, Charles Dickens and Ralph Waldo Emerson, two amazing writers in their own right, 
both said that this is the greatest short story ever told. It's a story about something being lost and being found. And so just think about your own life. Have you ever lost something, thought it was gone forever, and then you happened to stumble upon it? And remember that feeling that you had? Let me tell you what's interesting. I'm talking about the lost and found today. I always wear a watch. I woke up this morning, I searched all over my house and I could not find my watch. So I'm hoping that when I go home this afternoon, I will find it. But I thought of all days to, to lose something. But you, you know that feeling, the excitement that you get when you finally find it. And every now and then, we hear of stories where it's not something that is lost, but rather someone. And every now and then, there's stories that make worldwide news. I was thinking about a couple of examples that over the last few years, you might remember a few years ago down in Chile when a mine collapsed and trapped 33 of the miners. And the whole world leaned in with bated breath, waiting and anticipating, will they be rescued? Or fast forward a few years uh, over in Thailand where a soccer team and some teenagers from that soccer team, 12 of the players and one of their assistant coaches were just out having fun, exploring some caves in the mountains, something they did regularly. They were just having a good time when all of a sudden a flash flood came and they were unable to get out. And so they had to go deeper in the caves. And in both those instances, the whole world leaned in, wanted to know if they would be rescued. Well, thankfully, in both cases, everyone was rescued. And the entire world celebrated together. And I was thinking about that, as great as it is for the whole world to celebrate something together, how much better is it when all of heaven celebrates together? Because that's exactly what we see in this parable that Jesus tells. And just a reminder, a parable we've given this definition is simply an earthly story with a heavenly truth. It's an earthly story with a heavenly truth. And Jesus would tell these stories. He was a master storyteller. And he would do it to try to get across what the, the kingdom of heaven looked like. And we see that in this, um, that all of heaven is rejoicing. So I always want to know the why behind things. And before I get into his parable, maybe you're like me and you wonder, well, why did Jesus even need to tell this parable to begin with? Why did he need to share this story? And to answer that question, you just need to read the first two verses in Luke chapter 15. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man, referring to Jesus, receives sinners and he even eats with them, which was a big deal back in that culture. But the Pharisees were so upset. But this wasn't the first time they confronted Jesus. And just the thing that fascinates me is the Pharisees, the religious people, and the scribes literally spent their entire lives studying the scriptures, learning the scriptures, and writing the scriptures, and yet they missed the whole point. They missed Jesus right in front of them, and they were complaining. They were so self-righteous. They looked down at anyone who was not a Pharisee or a scribe, and this was a motley crew that Jesus was hanging out with. I, I mean, a tax collector, I love, you know, it says tax collector and sinner. And often you see them separated like that. And I believe that's because the sinners didn't even want to be associated with the tax collectors. And that's why you'll see tax collector and sinner. So a tax collector, I guess not much has changed since then. 
They were looked down upon, despised, like we look down on them and despise them to this day, tax day. But the reason they were so despised is they were considered traitors to their friends, their family, their country. And the reason for that is because at that time, Rome ruled over all of the known world. And the only way you could possibly rule over the entire known world is to have a massive, massive army. And the only way that you could pay for a massive army is through lots and lots of taxes. It's the only way that you could feed them and supply them. And so what Rome would do is they would hire local citizens who were not Roman citizens, and they would get them to come work for them. And so they, the local citizens would collect taxes for Rome, but Rome didn't pay them. So the only reason, only way that they could get paid is to extort money off the top and pad their own pockets. And this is what they did, and many of them became filthy rich in doing so. And so they were absolutely despised by the local citizens. And then you got the sinners. And the sinners, a couple different things about them. One Many of them were just outright rebellious sinners. They're like, I've tried to follow the law. I've tried to follow the law of Moses. Forget that. I'm living life the way I want to live it. I'm done with what scripture says. But also, people who were disabled back then often were considered sinners. You might remember when Jesus came across a blind man and one of his disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? And so Jesus is hanging out with traitors, and outright rebellious sinners, disabled people. This was a motley crew, and the Pharisees and scribes were looking at them with contempt and with disgust. But Jesus answered many times before why he came. He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And another time he answered them directly and said that it's not the well that need to go to the doctor, People who are in good physical health don't go to the doctor. It's people who are sick that need a doctor. That's why Jesus came. And so he starts this story, this parable, and it's really a three-part story. He starts it, and he's a master storyteller. What he's doing, he's just sinking the hook, and he's reeling in the Pharisees. And he says there was this shepherd, and the shepherd had a 100 sheep, and one of them got lost, and the shepherd went after the lost sheep. He probably hired somebody to watch the other 99. He went after the one. When he found it, he put it over his shoulders, went back to town, and he gathered all his friends and family together and said, I found my sheep. Let's celebrate and let's party. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus goes on after he talks about the sheep and he says there was this woman. This woman had 10 coins, which would have represented all of her earthly possessions, all of her wealth. And he says this woman lost one of her coins and she immediately stopped everything that she was doing. She turned her house inside out, upside down, turned on the light until she found her coin. And when she found it, she called her friends and her family together and she said, let's celebrate. Let's have a party. Jesus says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you ever thought about the fact that there is a constant celebration happening right now in heaven? 
because every second of every day, someone is going from death to life, lost to found, and, is, and are giving their life, life to Jesus. And it says, when that happens, all of heaven celebrates. But let me be clear. Heaven is not celebrating the lost being found or going from death to life. They're celebrating the one who gives that. They're celebrating God himself and his grace and his mercy. And the party that's happening in heaven is an outpouring, an overflow of God's joy himself. God rejoices over you and me. In fact, the prophet Isaiah puts it this way. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. That God rejoices like a groom beholding his bride for the first time. So just pause. Guys, if you're in the room and and you're married, I've had the privilege of officiating people in this room's wedding. And let me tell you, one of the greatest moments, Marty and I talk about this all the time, one of the greatest things about officiating a wedding is that you get to be up there standing right next to the groom. And I don't care who you are. I mean, I've done police officers, firemen, military, people who are just ultra successful in business, who got this hard exterior and they're standing up there and they're like, I'm going to be good talking to themselves. I'm thinking, no, you're not. And then the moment when the, the doors at the back of the auditorium, the back of the venue open and the groom beholds his bride for the very first time, they don't stand a chance. They start weeping and getting snotty and all nasty and bumbling. And it's one of the greatest moments. It says that that is how God reacts when we turn to him, like a groom beholding his bride for the very first time. And so Jesus tells this story and I believe he does it intentionally because he knows up to this point, the Pharisees would have been on board. Because we're told in Luke 16 that the Pharisees were lovers of money. So when he tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, they would have been in agreement with Jesus. And they would have been like, yeah, it makes sense to me. You go after the lost sheep, the lost coin. I I get you. Jesus was just setting them up. Because then he shifts his attention to some people. And he begins telling the parable that we're all familiar with. And Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, in that culture, the people listening to this would have been absolutely appalled. They would have been horrified at the disrespect, at the gall of this young man going to his father and saying, Father, I'm the younger of the two, so I know my inheritance is one-third of all of your property. Older brother's going to get two-thirds. I'm going to get one-third. But you know what, Dad? I'm ready to live life. I'm ready to live life the way I want to. I want to do it now. I'm tired of waiting. Basically, what he was saying, he was going up to his father and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. It would have been the ultimate slap in the face for a young Jewish boy to go to his father and say that. And I bet you that the Pharisees, being in shock, were we're wondering, what is that dad going to do? Surely that dad is going to respond with some physical or bare minimum verbal abuse, and he would have been in his rights to do so. How dare that younger son? But Jesus says, and he divided his property between them. So instead of 
doing what he was in his rights to do and just whooping that kid. It says the dad gave the kid exactly what he wanted. So now the kid's about to implement his plan. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. This is so important. So first of all, not many days later, he gathered all of his inheritance, which means either the, the young son or the dad, one or the other, liquidated that property. Because back then, all of your wealth, all of your worth was in land. We couldn't take the land with them. So the dad or the son, one or the other, found a buyer who was willing to give money so that son could pack his bags. And what he had in mind for the lifestyle he was going to live, he was like, there is no way I am doing that here where I live, where people know me. The things I have in mind, I don't want anybody seeing that. So he gathers all this stuff. You picture yourself, and he's like, Kannapolis, it's been real. Packs his bags, puts all his money in there, but he's like, I'm out of Kannapolis. Vegas, here I come. That's the place you go, right? Because what happens in Vegas? He's in, some of y'all been to Vegas. You know? Hey, at the end of this message, the altar is going to be open. Feel free to come down. We'll pray with you. We'll talk to you. It's all good. God is full of grace and mercy. And this kid's like, I'm out of here. I'm going to Vegas where nobody knows me. So let's see how it works out for him. It says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Now, you and I can't really think about what an actual famine is. But I mean, like in the Old Testament, it talks about women eating their afterbirth and selling their kids into slavery so that they weren't cannibalized. It's worse than you can even imagine, and he is at rock bottom. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. Now keep in mind, remember, this is a Jewish boy who would have nothing to do with pork. He's so rock bottom that all he's doing is begging for a job, and the only job he could find was to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed the pods that, were the, that the pigs ate, and yet no one gave him everything. Now, you know you've hit rock bottom when not only are you feeding the pigs, but you look down and you're like, you know what? That, that looks kind of, I, I think I want some of that for dinner. He was rock bottom. But isn't it interesting that no one gave him anything? It probably wasn't that long before that, man. He was the big man on campus. He had his inheritance. He liquidated it. He went off to a far country. He's the guy that had all the friends. He had all the women. He's the guy that was buying rounds for everybody at the party. Everybody wanted to lean in and be this guy's friend. And yet, when he hits rock bottom, they all abandoned him and he's left alone. So much so that he's willing to eat what the pigs ate. He says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But here I am perishing with hunger. Finally, the kid comes to himself. All of us at some point need to come to ourselves, just like he did. But then he begins to remember. He says, my father's hired servants have more than enough. And so he's remembering his dad. He's remembering his father's generosity because a hired servant would have been different than a servant that was always with 
your family. A hired servant would have been a day worker, a day laborer. So think like you drive up and you're in Walmart parking lot and you see somebody holding a sign. They're not asking for just money, but their sign says, we'll work for food. That's what a hired servant is. That's what a day laborer was. They would be minimum wage employees. You would take them, have them do a job, and you would pay them at the end of the day. He says, even those people who are rock bottom have more than enough. He's remembering his father's generosity. And so he, he starts coming up with a game plan in his mind. He says, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. And so I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Dad, just treat me as one of your hired servants. He said, man, there's no way I could ever be restored and redeemed and be part of this family again. In a room this size with this many people, surely there are people right now, you think that you have run too far from God, that you have made so much of a mess of your life. You've done so many despicable things that there's no possible way that God could ever love you. This kid's thinking, if he'll just make me a hired servant, maybe I can just work daily in enough days, weeks, months, even years, however long it'll take, maybe the day will come where I can save enough money and I can repay my debt. Well, let's see if the son has gone too far. It says he rose and he came to his father. My favorite part of the whole story says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. I love that phrase, but while he was a long way off. You know how the father saw the son when he was a long way off? Because he was looking for him. He never stopped looking for him. And I can just imagine every single morning the dad would get up, he'd get his cup of coffee, he'd go out on the balcony or the patio, and he would just be straining his eyes, looking and wondering, is today the day that my boy's coming back? Maybe today's the day. And then that day finally came and he looked out and you can only imagine how disgusting that boy would have been. He had literally been living with pigs. He was so down and out, he was willing to eat what they ate. He looked out, probably unrecognizable, but something about him, he recognized, that's my son. And then he did the unthinkable. It says he ran. Let me tell you something, in that day, in that culture, men did not run, especially the patriarchs of the family. In order to run, you would have had to pull up your robe. You'd be showing leg. And all that would be doing is bringing shame upon yourself. And isn't that a beautiful picture of the gospel? That Jesus was willing to take your shame and my shame and put it on himself. When he went to the cross and did for you and me what we could never do for ourselves, he became sin who knew no sin, so that you and I might become his righteousness. Jesus took our shame on himself. This dad took that shame. He didn't care. He ran like he was running a race. And when he got there, remember the, the position that son would be in. Hey, he would be pure filth, and the dad did not care. It says he embraced him, and he, just, and he kissed him. In the original language, it says, and he kept kissing him. He couldn't stop kissing him. He was so overcome with emotion, like a bride, a bridegroom 
beholding his bride for the very first time. The father ran to him. You know, the son had a long journey back. He went to a far country, it said. I could just imagine the whole way back home, he's just rehearsing that speech in his mind. He's practicing it. He's standing before the pigs. He's like, pigs, let me know what you think. And he's rehearsing this story. So he starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Now I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I would imagine at this point in the story, the Pharisees are smiling. They're like, boy, this kid is about to get it. Oh, man. Can you imagine what that father has in store for this kid? He is going to publicly shame him. Is that what the father does? Father cuts him off. He wasn't having it. He didn't want to hear this made-up speech. Son starts talking, and dad's like, shh. And instead, he turns to his servants, and he says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. When I say fattened calf, I just want you to think filet mignon. It's good stuff. He says, and let's eat, and let's celebrate. I mean, the kid is trying his best to just hire me as a servant, dad. Dad's not having any of it. He says, quickly, I don't want to wait. He says, get the best robe. Now, when he says best robe, that probably meant his robe. He put it on the boy. Again, a beautiful picture of the gospel. For those of us who have turned and accepted the invitation and have given our lives to Jesus, he clothes us with his righteousness. So that when God looks at us, he does not see all of our filth. He does not see our brokenness. Instead, he sees Jesus and his perfection and his righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. And then the father says, get a ring and put it on his finger. And this wasn't any ring. This would have been a signet ring. This would have been a ring that had the family crest, the family seal on it, that you would use, dip it in wax and, and seal an envelope or a letter. The father is saying, this son has full authority to represent this family and get shoes for his feet. Nobody except those in the house would have been wearing shoes. The father is saying, I am completely restoring him. He once was rebellious. Now we see him. He has been redeemed. He says, kill the fattened calf. Most scholars believe that fattened calf, well, first of all, it would have been reserved for the most special of occasions. So this was not just any party. The entire town would have been invited. It would have fed between two and 300 people. They are about to party, and they're about to party, as we'll see, at a whole nother level. And so this is the instructions that the dad gives. He says, for this, my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he was found, and they began to celebrate. Now, I want you to envision in your mind maybe the greatest party you've ever been to. I've been to some pretty amazing parties in my life, but I've never been to a party like this one. It says, remember, there were two sons. And most of the time, this is where that story stops when you hear it being preached, just about the younger son being redeemed, which is a beautiful thing. But this story is really more about the older son than it is the younger son because Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees the religious 
And there was another older son. He was out in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Remember that party I told you to think about? What kind of a party is it when you hear music and dancing? I mean, I get the music part, right? Son's walking up the field, coming near the house, and he's like, right? He's like, oh, I hear some music. But what happens when you turn the music off? I hear nothing. I hear nothing. This party, he hears the music and he hears the dancing. Man, this party is epic. And he goes and he says, the servant continues to say, and he called one of the servant and asked what, what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now, wouldn't you think that a good older brother would be overcome with joy at this point? Finally, that moron brother of mine, finally he came to himself. He came to his senses. Oh my mercy, let me go in there so you can hear my dancing, baby. I want to be a part of this party. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the religious people, the self-righteous people. Because that's not how the brother responds. It says he was angry. And we've talked about this. Marty talked about this, this just a couple of weeks ago. We have to be very careful. If we're not careful, we can become religious. And the more religious we get, we become puffed up and prideful. And we become self-righteous. And we begin looking down at other people with contempt. That's all this older brother had for his younger brother was contempt. He was better than him. He wasn't happy. And so I just ask you, miss a room full of church people, examine your own heart. When you see the down and out, when you see the sinner, do you have compassion for them? Does your heart break for them? Or is your first thought, it's exactly what they deserve. It's exactly what they deserve. This is how the older brother was. He answered and he said, Father, look, these many years I have served you. Never once have I disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, he doesn't even address him as his brother. He says, this son of yours, I'm not even associating myself with him. He's devoured your property again. This boy was just mad because he was seeing his inheritance going away. He's devoured your property with prostitutes. And yet you cook filet mignon for the entire town? You kill the fattened calf for him? And the dad answers and says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother of yours was dead. He is alive. He was lost and he's been found. Man, again, maybe you're in a place right now that you never thought you would be, and you're identifying with that rebellious son. You can think of times in your life where 
you're having a conversation, you get confronted by something, and so you just tell one little white lie. You don't want to come clean. But then somebody else asks you about it, and in order to cover up that white lie, you tell another little white lie, and you, you tell another line, another line, another line. They just keep piling up on top of each other until you're so far removed from the truth, you don't even remember what the truth is anymore. Or maybe you're like, I never thought I would be this person. All I was trying to do, Tommy, was just relax and let the take the edge off when I got home from work. So I'd come home from work at night. Every show I turn on TV, every movie I turn on to watch, they tell me, they show me that when I come home, if I want to unwind after a long day at work, I just need to pour myself a drink. I'm just trying to take the edge off. And so you pour yourself that drink, but that one drink quickly becomes two drinks to take the edge off and the two becomes three. And next thing you know, what was just an attempt to unwind has manifested itself in a full blown addiction. And you thought, I never thought I would be that person. Maybe an innocent conversation around the copper or at work, somebody of the opposite sex and, and they just smiled at you and you thought, oh, and it, and it gave you a tingle. And so some innocent flirting starts happening with that person. And you're like, I've been out of the dating game so long, I forgot how good it felt to flirt with somebody. And so you just continue flirting with them. And next thing you know, that innocent flirting is a full-blown affair. You think there's no way God could love me. But let me tell you something. We see the love of the Father today. He wants nothing more than to clothe you in His righteousness. He wants nothing more than to run to you and kiss you. Or maybe you're like that older son. Let me tell you, there was no difference really between the younger son and the older son. Neither one of them had a relationship with the father. Neither one of them did. Neither one of them loved the father. The only reason they even cared about the father is because they wanted his stuff. They just went about it different. The younger brother, he just did it in outright rebellion and sin. The older brother didn't love his father. He just wanted the father's stuff and went about it through good works. Please hear me this morning. You can never run too far from the love of God, but you could also never do enough good to earn the love of the father. The only way to be in a relationship is to receive his invitation, which is an open invitation to every single person. And so as we sing this last song, I want to invite you. I pray that there are people in this room today that you're receiving that invitation for the very first time in your life and you say, I'm in. Maybe you're the rebellious, maybe you're the religious, but you realize you're not getting in unless you receive that invitation. Maybe you've been clothed in His righteousness for many, many years. Altar's open to you as well. If you want to come and just give praise, and give thanks to Jesus for who he is and all he has done. Jesus, we love you. God, we are so grateful that regardless of how far we've run, regardless of how good we've tried to be, none of that matters. All that matters is what you've done for us on the cross, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so God, I pray that people receive that invitation today that today is a day of salvation. Jesus, I humbly ask and pray that you do what only you can do. And we give you thanks for it.
your holy name. Amen.